hello. 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 <gasps> that was another voice. What's going on? Oh my gosh, it's it's haunted. It's a ghost. <sighs> I knew this day would come. It's Why Casey Affleck. <laughs> it's the yes. ghost of Casey Affleck. I am Casey Affleck, and I can speak now. <laughs> Finally, this is what we've wanted on the podcast <laughs> all along. Oh my along. gosh. Can we have the ghost of Lucas Hedges too? We've been having him he, he couldn't make it every week trying to call him to come hang out with us. We've been trying <laughs> every week after the podcast ends, we try and conjure Casey F like at <laughs> Lucas Hedges, but <laughs> looks like it finally worked this time. Yes, and I'm here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, let's just get into it. Hello. And welcome to episode 49 of We Watch Movies and Then Talk About Them, the only podcast on the internet where we watch a movie and then talk about it. There may be others where other people watch movies, and then talk about them. But this is the only one where we do it. My name is Andrew Westensko. I am the host of this here podcast, joined at my right hand in life and in all things by Becca. Hi. How's your throat? Not great. That's great. <laughs> Becca's, but I'm here anyway. Becca's sick, but she's pushing through to talk to uh, all of you about income inequality and classism. Yes. Yes. Great. And That's why you invited me here. There we I go. See how it is. Yeah. Now, to my left hand, as always, is Sid. Yes. But there is something of a breaking the pattern <gasps> in between Becca and Sid. I feel so far away from me, Becca. <laughs> They're holding hands across the table. You can't hear that, but it's sweet. <laughs> um, well, we'd like to welcome our first podcast guest, Austin. Hello. Hello. Uh, that is me, Austin. <laughs> Um, about a year and change ago, we invited Dev Patel to come onto the podcast. Uh, he hasn't answered any of our calls, so we uh, brought you on instead. Hey, I I understand. I'm I'm okay with being his substitute. So I think anybody would be okay with being Dev Patel's substitute. Dude, I'd is, be fine to be associated with Dev. Dude's Patel. a snack. <laughs> I'd be perfectly okay getting to know Dev Patel. He also just seems like a nice guy. Yeah. And he looks great in Lion. He does look great in Lion. He's just, I love him. Also, Nicole Kidman is a chameleon in that movie. Mm-hmm. Had no idea that was her. Really? No idea. Really? Hmm. Have you seen him in the newsroom? I don't know what that is. Oh, it's a, I think it's an HBO show. I think mm-hmm. it's on Nef- it's on Amazon Prime. It's I recommend it. It's Aaron really Sorkin, good. Right? Aaron Sorkin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. newsroom. Yeah, hmm. it's really great, and he's really good in it too. All right. Though he doesn't show up until like. I think the second episode but he's right. he's a fun character does he play the token indian guy uh they make jokes about that because okay. the the head news anchor makes thinks he's the it guy and he's like no i'm not like and he gets his name wrong like the first the first episode he's in it's pretty funny all right all right i'm down with aaron sorkin <laughs> i was on this uh reddit thread the other day that was um it was kind of an interesting uh thing it was it was like it took all of the uh, best picture, best director, best actor, best actress winners from the last 10 years and told you like told it was like the, the topic of the thread was basically like do a mega Oscars <laughs> and basically like from the winners of the last 10 years, like pick the best. It's like the quarter quell in the Hunger Games. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. It's what the second on. Hunger Games okay. book was all Were about. Were never Dive a teenage girl? All of the hunger. No, it's just oh my gosh. The, the lore. In the, in the, the deep second lore. book, they're like, So oh, I saw the first Hunger Games movie. I don't remember if I saw the second one. 
I never saw the first half of the third one, but I saw the second half of the third one in <laughs> Russian. So that means I got about a third of it. For those who can't see, um, Sid is throwing daggers at Andrew Literally right now. throwing daggers She's upset. At With her eyes. She's upset. Not actual daggers. The second one is great. They're not like the best movies ever made, but they're good. They uh, give no Aragon. That's that's the good thing about it. <laughs> but the second one is the second one's my favorite. It's the best one. Aragon, jeez. <laughs> anyway. uh, basically, point, uh, back to my uh, off-topic rant. The topic of the Reddit thread was to basically told everybody to have a mega Oscars, and I realized a handful of things. Being uh, a big fan of the Oscars myself, uh, the first thing I realized is that uh, we've had some pretty. Uh, unmemorable best actor winners for the last 10 years <laughs> like everybody was voting that the best performance of the last decade was casey affleck in manchester by the sea which is a great performance yeah but like for real it was so weird because your choices were like casey affleck um the guy from the artist which i haven't seen oh that's a pretty good one um leo uh gary oldman uh colin firth matthew mcconaughey and I was like, none of these freaking movies ever get talked about. Yeah. So I think that'd be a fun thing to do. This yeah. is this is a note for the podcast because I love list making and I love end of year. I think it would be a fun thing to assign out to all of us yeah, we should to do, do our own mega Oscars for the last 10 years. Mm. Everything's going to call me by your name in Paddington too. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, Can but we the, only pick from Oscar winners? Um, we'll have to set up the rules. I okay. think not. Maybe we each like nominate two things in each category, and then we can narrow it down from there. I don't know. I mean, I say we put them all on an island. Like that sounds like Survivor right there. Like you take all the winners from the past and then put them against each other. That could work. <laughs> Who's winning? The, uh, I'm betting Matthew McConaughey survives. Uh, oh, like no, if they Mr. actually Rogers. had to fight to the actually death? Actually, on an island. No, Mr. Rogers. Didn't they win best? Wait, who won the best documentary that that last year? Mr. Rogers is dead. I I know that. That's. <laughs> but we're talking about no. Movies. They didn't win. They weren't even nominated. Really? Yeah. Oh. In any case, the other takeaway was this: is that there were a surprising number of people who were saying that the Social Network is the best movie of the last decade. Wow. Like there was, there was more than a few people who were chiming in saying like, because you were allowed to pick, basically the rules of the thread said you get to pick one from each category and then you can pick a wild card, which is somebody who didn't win, but you think deserves it. And there was not a small number of people who were putting the social network. And it made me think like, I've already uh, had a revisionist corner on the social network where I upped my score by like a whole point, but it's making me kind of want to go back and watch it because... People were saying, especially with everything going on with Facebook these days, that it has just become more relevant. Mm -hmm. And I'm very curious to watch that. Um, to validation of my own opinion, the other one that was plugged in a lot uh, was Tree of Life. That people were saying that that was the best movie of the last decade, which off the top of my head, I would probably have to agree with. Point being, it was very fun. Um, best actor is a garbage category, I've learned. Um <laughs> Especially because Robert Pattinson hasn't won yet. <laughs> um, He's got some pretty good chances this year. Dude, I don't think so. No, do Batman's you not coming out this year. He's, he's going to do fine. <laughs> do you really think that Lighthouse has a chance at the Oscars? I think you're crazy no. if you do. Because I was thinking that he had... For some reason, I was thinking that Good Time was also coming out this year. No, I think that was, I was 2017. I think I was also just associating it with... Um, Uncut Gems. Yeah. Hmm. And also, he 
is in the King movie. Which um, one? The King, the one with Timothy Chalamet. Oh uh, yeah, I'm probably not gonna watch that. I'll probably watch it just because. You don't like Shakespeare at all? No, no. Uh, I don't really like. I don't really like medieval movies that much. The fifth, actually. I don't know. But to answer your question, no, I'm not a big Shakespeare guy. (laughs) I see. Um, What was the other thing? Oh, um, the other big takeaway is that people started a a pretty good discussion about the fact that it's absolutely ludicrous that Amy Adams has not won an Oscar yet. And I would have to agree with that. What would you say she should have won in the past? Um, I would say um, either for The Master or Arrival would be the two that I would like really hype her up in. I would say Enchanted. <laughs> so we brought a new person on the podcast. <laughs> if we want to keep the order, we can ditch somebody. <laughs> Get out of here, Sid. Excuse me, she's fantastic in that movie. I her, don't, I don't is. doubt it. She's her a gem. Princess mannerisms, I love her. She's a gem. I love Amy Adams. Um, also, uh, not that it's a, a terribly eclectic performance, but she does a fantastic job in her as well. Mm-hmm. She's just solid in everything. But I think as far as standout, uh, probably my favorite performance of hers would be in The Master. Well, I haven't seen The Master. I just feel like with Amy Adams, I think she just needs her her movie. I don't know. Like, Arrival, she was pretty good, but, like, I don't know. To, like, win the Oscar with the movie, I feel like they need to write better role, a, a really good role for her. I don't know. Like, the problem is this. She hasn't had a chance to really, like, be amazing. Yeah, I think the problem is that the Academy is, like, incapable of awarding a subtle performance. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to. And here's the thing. Gary Oldman, fantastic as Winston Churchill. That's fine. Oh, yeah. Right, like he did a great imitation, but like that's the kind of stuff that the Academy Awards is basically biopics and really over the top stuff, like right, like Matthew McConaughey, Dallas Buyers Club, over the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, you give it to Colin Firth, you give it to Gary Oldman, you give it to Leo, like all these really over the top performances, but something with a lot of like subtlety and depth to it. Like she has an arrival. I think the Academy just like really undervalues, mm-hmm. which is ironic because they're supposed to be the. Academy of Motion Picture Arts and uh, Academy of Motion Picture, I don't know, overstimulation. (laughs) In any case, we will have plenty of Oscar discussion coming up in the next couple of months as the year winds down and as we see uncut gems. (laughs) Um, No, we got a handful more. We got uncut gems. We got Honey Boy. I still got to see Jojo Rabbit. Have you seen it yet, Sid? Yes, we have. Okay. We'll talk about that later. Okay. Yeah, so I still got to go see that. Um, and then Honey Boy is the other big one. And then Uncut Gems. And actually, I have totally flipped my tune on, uh, what is it, 1917? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think I talked about this a few weeks ago. But once I learned that it's like a real-time continuous shot, it's like the movie takes place over the course of like two hours. Yeah. I'm like, that's a pretty cool idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, Sid hates this term, but my favorite term for that is a one it, a oneer? It's a oneer. So that's it's just like shorthand. It's an easy way to say a long take, basically. So it's a continuous shot. It's a oneer. A one. How is okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You do you. Whatever. <laughs> um, but today we're not here to talk about the Oscars, or maybe we are. <gasps> we're here to talk about. Oh crap! What is his freaking name? Jun Ho Bong. Jun Ho Bong's newest film, Parasite. The uh, returning uh, director to the podcast, we have previously covered such films as Snowpiercer and brief comments on The Host. Um, uh, what's his name again? 
June Hobong. June Hobong. Mr. June? Probably. Mr. June yeah. um, is notable for his uh, recurring themes of class inequality and the stratification of our society along class lines. He basically uh, talks about that in all of his movies, even in his movie where it's literally about a giant sewer monster running around killing people. He manages to tie it into um, income inequality, basically. (laughs) So go you, Mr. June. We love you and we appreciate you. And that's why we've decided to cover your 2019 film, Parasite. Um, So we're going to spoil the crap out of this. If you haven't seen it, um real quick a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of advice go see it and go see it fast but don't don't try and learn anything about it yeah just go in as blind as you can it's really really good just see it everybody those are my spoiler free thoughts on parasite <laughs> it's so good <laughs> okay um should we just dive right in or does anybody have any other spoiler free thoughts they want to volunteer um, well, this is part of my hot take, so I guess I'll wait. Okay, but we'll, it is we'll get into that for a I second. I mean, I, I really love the trailers. I know some of the people here aren't big trailer watchers, but I watch every trailer I can, and the trailers are pretty great whenever it comes to it. I'm trying to convert him, don't worry. I did accidentally see a trailer for it, and it was quite good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would love to make trailers, so I feel like it'd be important to watch trailers, you know? Hey, do me a favor. When you're making trailers... um. Uh, only take footage from like the first 20 minutes. I, I can definitely do that. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. I swear, man. I feel like I have to close my freaking eyes every time I go to the movie <laughs> theater because I don't know. But Parasite did a good job, though, with its trailer of not giving it away. Uh, yeah. Lighthouse had a good trailer. Uncut Gems has a really good trailer. I want to see that movie so bad. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll do an episode on Good Time eventually once Becca ever agrees to watch it again. I enjoyed that movie. We just watched it this year <laughs> it's october it's um, november no, it's not. <laughs> okay great who cares here's how the show is gonna work okay now that we're finally getting into the show 14 minutes later um here's how the show is gonna work we're gonna do some hot takes that's a quick concise opinion of the film at hand again being parasite after that we'll dive into our detailed discussion which will be spoiler filled um following that we will have uh imdb movie trivia Sid read every single piece of IMDb movie trivia so that you didn't have to, and she will share with us the best of the best. Following that, final thoughts, rate the movie out of 10, and it will be placed on the Weston scale, the only definitive uh, scale for ranking movies on a scale of 1 to 10. Um, And then we'll talk about other topics and other movies that we've seen. And that's how it's going to go. So, um, let's get started with the hot takes. I don't burn yourself on these hot takes. Becca, how hot is your hot take? It's pretty hot. Spicy hot take. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really excited to see this movie, and it definitely lived up to and exceeded my expectations and subverted my expectations. I think that was like my first response after we watched the movie. It was like, that is not what I was expecting, but I don't know what I was expecting. Um, But I got like two-thirds through the movie and I was like okay this is a good movie like I'm I'm really enjoying this and this is fun and then it just like went off the rails and then I just loved it even more 
and just well, I want to go see it again immediately. I already pre-ordered the 4K Blu-ray, so we'll I definitely know. be watching it again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's my main hot take. I also thought, I mean, everything about it was good. The acting was really, really good. And this movie, like other foreign movies, I like forgot that I was reading subtitles the entire time. Yeah. I'll buy so that. I think the dialogue is that good. <laughs> yeah. When a foreign movie is that good, like I just forgot that it wasn't in English mm-hmm. and that I was reading subtitles. So that's means it's a good movie. Sweet. Um, wow. I'm sorry. I don't want to break the pattern, but we have to go around the table. <gasps> that's okay. I'm just going to make everyone wait a little bit longer. <laughs> Build the suspense. All right. Austin, how hot is your hot take? Um, I mean, it's pretty pretty hot. I don't know what applies to hotness, but it, the the hotness of your hot take is entirely subjective. <laughs> there's there's no uh, there's no there's even no... when I don't like the movie, I still say my hot takes hot. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> your hot take could either be that it's good, which could be a spicy take, or you could say that it's bad, which could also be a spicy take. Mm. So. Well, then then my take is pretty spicy. Then I would say. Uh, and now we don't know if it's good or bad. Yeah, yeah. we only ha- we only have spicy takes around here. Yeah. So. I, I just have to say the opposite of what everyone else says. Is what? No, I'm just kidding. I'm uh, oh, I, I loved it. It uh, the trailers got me excited to to see it, and I just it was like watching someone stack up a bunch of dominoes and then blow it up with a nuke, and I loved it. And it was so satisfying. Like I, you know, you care about the characters, but at the same time, I spent the whole movie like I can't wait to see this all just crumble. <laughs> I'm so excited to watch everything collapse. And and it and it did everything that I wanted. A little disappointed that there was no monster in the basement because that's what I was hoping to happen. But it's all right. Probably doesn't help that we watched the host right before we saw this. Yeah, that that's literally. I was like, oh yeah, let's come on, some monster in the basement. I mean, there was a monster, it, it, but not you know like a sewer monster yeah. like in the host. Well, hopefully it wouldn't be as glossy as that monster is in the host. That CGI, oh. that CGI is rough. <laughs> It, it it we watched it on I think Tuesday Wednesday I don't know uh, but it, it was a little rough to watch that like when they set it on fire I was like you yeah. guys didn't need to go that far like please <laughs> stop like it's really good for 2006 but yeah yeah all right great Sid how hot is your hot take it's pretty hot spicy take okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been so excited to see this movie this is probably the movie that I've been looking forward to the most all year um. And when it finally started playing in Utah, I just, I had to see it as soon as I could. Um, and I, I loved it. I loved to every second of it. The the way that he just intertwines um, humor into all of it. Um, and he also gives little hints to, to things that's going to happen later. I think it's just amazing. It's just, it's gorgeous. The cinematography, the production design, I I loved everything about this movie. It's so good. Oh my gosh. All right. Uh, My hot take is also rather spicy. I think that I am going to quote one of my favorite uh, movie critic personalities. uh, Mr. Chris Stuckman on YouTube makes excellent uh, movie reviews and analyses. And I think I'm going to quote him when he just said, damn movies. (laughs) <laughs> movies are back this year <laughs> and i'm gonna hold, i'm gonna 100 agree with that oh my gosh this freaking year for movies movies are back not that they went anywhere but like like 
it's it's so crazy because like I mean we just did Suspiria last episode and that was my top movie of last year and it would be like number six this year and it's a ten like <laughs> this year is absolutely freaking nutty with how good these movies are um, and this just makes it absolutely tougher I am oh my gosh um, I love this movie so much um, it is everything that I wanted it to be and more. It's one of those movies that uh, I feel just like, it just really excites me about film as an art form to think like this is possible. Like somebody thought about this, had this idea, wrote a script and you just get, it's it, I it's on par with something like, as far as just like excitement about the craft of film with, with something like The Lighthouse, I think it's less like, I guess odd in some of its stylistic choices, but like just the idea that like this is something that started in a person's brain and they managed to get all of the right people to come together at this time to make this film. It's just so like exciting uh, for uh, it's such a great time to be a film lover right now because there's so many good things happening and like, I swear on my freaking life, if gosh darn Another Day in the Neighborhood wins a single Academy Award this year, I'm going to just quit forever. Like, that, I refuse to see that movie. I hate everything about it. And if it wins a single Academy Award, I will quit the Oscars forever. And you can I, I put that on tape. Because <laughs> if we follow up Green Book winning Best Picture last year with freaking Another Day in the Neighborhood winning any Academy Awards this year with the caliber of films that have come out this year between freaking Midsummer, The Lighthouse, Joker, Parasite, and we still got more to go. Good heavens, people. It's a good year. This is a good film. I love everything about it. The dialogue is absolutely on point. The performances are some of the best that I have seen this year. And that's with Joaquin Phoenix included. Like, freaking, what is his gosh darn name? The the, the dad? Yeah, the dad. Um, Kang Ho-Song. Kang Ho-Song. Dude's a freaking monster in this as far as his performance goes. Like, again, you want to talk about, uh, uh, jumping back to kind of what I was referring to before, like, freaking subtlety in performance. <laughs> Dude is incredible in this thing. Cinematography, absolutely gorgeous. The lighting in this movie is disgusting. Like, it's so freaking good. And the the music all ties in. The I agree with Sid. Like, the production design is super, super outstanding. The way the house is laid out plays such a large part in how the story plays out. And just, oh my gosh. And it's exactly what I want in a foreign film. Which, the reason, I've talked about this before... But the reason why foreign film is so exciting is because it, we have a cultural language that is embedded into our films as Americans. And when you only watch American films, there's so much about American culture that you just take for granted for understanding. That. And this film pulls no punches when it's uh, it's references to Korean culture. It's been uh, a really cool opportunity to dig into some of the more subtle nods that the script has to Korean culture and Korean history. And... It's just, it's been such a complete experience of a film, even as we saw it a week ago. Yeah. And like reading about it since then and, and looking into the things, it's it, like I said, it's, ma it's made for such a complete experience that I, I can't get this thing out of my head and I just love it so freaking much. Um, I want to add on to my hot take that Kay. I think 
it does a really really good job of walking the line between comedy and horror Mm -hmm. and flipping it Mm -hmm. whenever they want to and also just kind of like ramping it up like it's very very funny in the beginning and then it's pretty horrific in the end and you don't really feel that change like it just kind of happens yeah and both are good like the comedy is is great the humor is hilarious yeah hands down best screenplay of the year i think so far i'm trying to think of even what would beat it i don't know jojo rabbit might be yeah but that's adapted screenplay oh i guess that's true Mm -hmm. i forgot that it was a book is that adapted Yeah. (laughs) yeah all right let's get in what do we want to talk about first? One thing I've been thinking about a lot, and I noticed it a lot on this one, mostly just because it's what we talked about in my film class this week, is the editing, where normally I don't super pay attention to the editing, um, but I think I was just like subconsciously aware of it this time. The first hour is so fast, like so much is happening um and scenes aren't very long um they cut scenes before like it really feels like it's over um but once it gets to the night where they're just hanging out in the house everything just slows down and it stressed me out so bad because i was just like this scene is going on for too long i don't like this like what's gonna happen yeah, i was like something bad is gonna happen right now and it's i uh, but it's so good i guess that's a, a good point because I guess uh, just tagging onto that and one of the biggest strengths that I think this movie has is the way that it plays with your expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, not only of like the trailers don't really give you a lot and so it, it plays with your expectations of what you think it's going to be. It ends up being way more horrific than you anticipate, I think. But it also plays with the expectations of like just what a movie is and how story structure works in that way that like a, a pace is usually established in a story right and you kind of keep that up but the way that yeah that's a really good point i think that the way that they uh slow it way 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 way, way down and i agree with you like when that part hit i was super stressed but i mm-hmm. i didn't even think about it yeah. in in the context of the editing and i was thinking about it um driving up over here like probably the first hour is maybe like six months like it's, it seems like it spans about like a few months that would make sense yeah and, and then, then after that it's like a week <laughs> yeah and then like. after that it's like 24 hours is it pretty much because it's the the night that the housekeeper shows up and then the next day is the like birthday party the flood happens that night oh that's yeah. the right because it's raining day. outside yeah and it's just it's like it it's such a different pacing from Holy the, the rest of it but you don't <laughs> you don't you're not bothered by it like it, it feels like it just flows naturally jeez that's really cool yeah i i had a huge smile on my face that whole time of the the moment i'm like all right where is it like i can't i can't wait because i was because like you're talking about like plot structure and everything i i was thinking about the movie in a way that like what if the movie decided to end it once they taken over the house like like that in of itself is a pretty good movie. Like yeah. watching this family like take over this rich person's home and it just ends with them. They took over. But because like we know it like it was only an hour in at that point, we're like, all right, you know something bad's gonna happen and that tension starts rising and like you're like, All right, what's it gonna be? And when it turns out to be this guy in the basement, it's awesome. Like 
it's not it's not the family coming home early because you know that's probably going to happen but that's not what starts like lights the fuse yeah for sure well and even like the the bunker is one of the biggest there's kind of a handful of uh specific examples when i talk about the references to korean culture and history um the one that I thought was, uh, I really appreciated the the basement bunker in the rich people's houses in case North Korea attacks. Yeah. Like, it just seems like such a 50s idea to us because we don't have like a hostile power directly to our north. Um, but the other one that, that kept coming up a lot um, was the, uh, what was the shop that they said? they? I, I'm forgetting what kind of food they said it was. The pizza shop? No, the freaking, the, the there's like an off, the, the cake shop oh, yeah no. the cake shop um so basically that was a, that was a real thing in like 2016 that like for some reason these japanese cakes and i forget what makes them special i read a whole article about it but there's this there's this specific type of japanese cake that like boomed big in is korea it, is it like the like jiggly i don't know what it is hmm. i don't remember exactly but point being this specific kind of cake boomed really big in korea in 2016 and so these shops started popping up like crazy where everybody was putting up these shops and so there was a huge bust of these japanese cake shops towards the end of the year beginning of 2017 because there were just too many of them um oh what here's what here's what it is is they it's it's similar to the same type of cake in korea but it has an eggier taste there's more eggs in it so it it tastes more of eggs and around that time at the end of 2016 there was a really bad case of avian flu in korea and so eggs were super hard to come by and so this whole industry that had popped up pretty much overnight pretty much went bust overnight and so it's interesting the different way that like i interpreted that because the dad mentions it um in, when they're eating at the taxi driver cafeteria, mm-hmm. the dad mentions like, oh, no, that was after the cake shop went bust, but before I worked at the auto garage or whatever. And so when they're in the basement and the guy who's locked up in the basement is talking about how his cake shop went bust, I thought that was going to be like, oh, these two dudes know each other mm-hmm. because of the connection there. Mm-hmm. But what it really was is like a ton of lower class people were involved in cake shops that went bust because it was just this huge industry that popped up overnight. So just the way that it, like I said, like it just doesn't pull punches with the assumptions of your cultural understanding. I thought it's just a, especially for a film that was so clearly targeted at an international audience, they could have done a lot to pander and they didn't. And I, I, I really appreciate that. I yeah. like that because it forces me to look into it and learn more about it and continue to think about the film. Yeah. I think also like the the cake thing with the guy in the bunker um kind of connected the two of them and I mean we can we'll probably talk about it later but like the what's his name the dad's motivation for for killing um Mr. Park mm-hmm. um like I think that's the big motivation is he saw the similarities between the two of them um and that's that's what like the, I think the cake is like kind of what began that where he was like oh well that's also kind of what got me screwed you know that's a really good point yeah and especially like i think one of the more interesting things about the last chunk of the film is the parallel between uh mr kim and the guy in the basement right Mm -hmm. how he ends up essentially just taking his spot um they had these really similar life experiences and i think that's i guess if we wanted to get into, I feel like that ties really well into kind of the overall themes of the movie, which as discussed at the top of the podcast, really it, it 
pretty much focuses intensely on that inequality of class and um, just really examines from a lot of different angles the idea that like the super wealthy as well as the um, people who live you know in in poverty just they live in absolutely different worlds and um it it was like it, it was basically like even though this big crazy thing happened and the uh you know the the kims managed to take over the house for a little while and then this big disgusting massacre at the barbecue happens and this just crazy traumatic event and you would think that that could be something that could spur a revolution or something like that that we literally end exactly where we started which is with an empty house and a dude living in the basement and like the idea that like really how difficult it is to actually kind of fracture that line between the rich and the poor and i mean it's not a very hopeful message but it it I don't know. I, 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 I thought that was a really interesting way to make that point that essentially, you know, cause that dude moves in when the architect family moves out. Right. And so now Mr. Kim moves into the bunker when the parks move out mm-hmm. and I don't know, it was, it was, an, I thought it was an, uh, an interesting way to make the point that, um, Mr. Bong was trying to make. Well, I think, I think for me, one of the best parts of that was the, the rain and the flood. Because it's like uh, the way. Well, first off, the way the director uses the rain and the flood in numerous for numerous numerous purposes. Like, there's a moment where they r- recognize how beautiful it looks on the lawn when they're all drinking, but then it leads into the the family coming home early. It leads to them flooding the basement, and then that in of itself is used to demonstrate the difference between the two families. Because there's that moment in the car where the woman's like, "Oh, I'm so glad that there was rain." And all this great rain because it cleared up the sky, perfect for a party. Whereas sitting in front, the driver, his whole house was flooded because of that rain. And so it's like those little details being reused and reused helps push that theme without it being too like heavy handed almost. Yeah. And there's there's a number of, again, those kind of dividing lines that are reinforced throughout the course of the movie. One that was pointed to me afterwards is obviously I think we all noticed the like through line of the smell. Right. Mm -hmm. Like he would always uh, Mr. Park was always complaining about uh, Mr. Kim's smell Mm -hmm. and all that. Um, But if we remember the very beginning of the film, I didn't pick this up. But the very beginning of the film starts out with Mr. Kim complaining about having too many stink bugs in his house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And like, again, the idea that like because again, it, it. this movie does such a fantastic job of not villainizing either side. Mm-hmm. They're just saying it, it. It's really about the fact. I feel like the the overall like what is this movie about is just the idea that like human nature is the same for everybody regardless of your circumstances. And one of the things that unfortunately we as humans crave is the ability to have somebody to look down on, and like to feel that we are better than and that's a really unfortunate side effect of human nature but it just is a thing and so the idea that he starts out you know complaining that he's got stink bugs in his house and wanting them to be exterminated and then we see this whole through line throughout the movie where he is the stink bug to somebody else Mm -hmm. and like i said it does it's it does a really it examines the issue from a lot of different angles in a really clever way and I, i thought that was a after that metaphor was pointed to me after the fact, I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. really 
depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that also um, can kind of explain Mr. Kim's break, where he's seeing the, the guy in the bunker and he's seeing him as a lesser person. And then he starts to see how similar they are. Yeah. And um, it's, and you know, with the whole smell thing, like he realizes that Mr. Park, like he, like they're not bad guys, but they're also like not super sensitive. Um, but like he can, he finally like notices that he doesn't totally value him as a human being. You know, he's just his driver. Yeah. Well, it really starts like, I think that, um, Mr. Uh, Kim's performance really takes off, um, starting that night where they're hiding under the coffee table. Cause that's the first time that he hears them talk about the smell. Yeah. And that's the first hint that he gets of like the fact that Mr. Park doesn't really respect him. Mm-hmm. And, um, that whole scene could have like an hour long oh episode just about it. But <laughs> that moment where he like slowly smells his collar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so good. But then you can see so like subtle like, and so great. He looks so hurt. Yeah. Again, it, it, it that's just another way that the movie plays the expectations though, because they focus on his face and he makes this face like he's just his his oh, his head is literally about to explode. Right. And I was thinking right at that moment, I was like, he is gonna freaking like kool-aid man through this coffee table somehow (laughs) and like it's gonna be a big confrontation and then he just doesn't and they get away right Mm -hmm. and then they have another it's worse well exactly but then it gets worse right then there there's the next scene where he's in the car with the woman and she's on the phone like you know like like rolling down her window and you see his face and i'm like oh he's gonna i was like he's gonna flip the car yeah right but nothing happens and then finally you end up at the barbecue and the dude's kid is dying and he gets him to throw him the keys lands under the other guy's body and as he lifts it up he takes the time to like acknowledge that the dude stinks right and then that's when he blows up like again you're you we think of movies as being like i guess this is another way that i was talking about before where it plays with the expectations of what story and what movies are right like we we expect him to not act like a human being, right? It's like, oh, he's a movie, so he can afford to, he's in a movie, so he can afford to be over dramatic and just like totally ruin their whole lives with a big dramatic gesture, right? But it has to build and build and build and build and build until it finally explodes. And when it does, it is so incredibly satisfying. But at that moment, you're like, this guy is not a bad guy. Like he's he's just out of touch. And that doesn't like being out of touch doesn't necessarily make you evil. Even though Mr. Kim maybe saw him that way, I think I I read a a Reddit that was talking about his break, and they pointed out that Mr. Kim is just like trying to connect with him. Like he tries to comfort um, Mrs. Park in the in like the steam room, and he like tries to hold her hand to comfort her, and he tries to um, talk to Mr. Park in the car, and they they all just kind of dismiss him as the help. Well, the line, right? Oh, yeah, I yeah. wanted to freaking punch that guy in the face every time he talked about crossing the line. Yeah. Oh, I was not about that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that ties back to what you were saying at the beginning, Austin, of just how, like, actually what both Becca and Austin were saying, how subversive, but how satisfying the story is in its subversion. Like, even the trailers are like, it starts as one thing and ends as something completely different, right? Like... It tells you that there's going to be a twist, but you just you don't expect it. But it's 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 really satisfying, but not in like a not in like a justice served way. But it just like it feels like 
everything that every character does is completely earned and natural. Everybody just acts how you would act in that situation. And everybody has that breaking point where their desperation overtakes their logical behavior, right? Like, and that's what we really see when, as I feel like we really see when Mr. Kim finally snaps, is that's the moment that his, like, true desperation in regards to just his entire life overtakes kind of those boundaries that our mind puts in place as far as what's acceptable human behavior, right? And we see that desperation get ramped up as we go. And it just becomes worse because they're given a, a, a glimpse of hope, right? At, at the beginning of the movie, they're kind of resigned to this lot. Like, oh, we're poor. We fold pizza boxes and this is our life, right? But they're given a window into the possibility of having something better. And then when it all gets just like rug pulled out from under them, like the desperation just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows to a point where he literally, I don't feel like in that moment could have done anything other than attack Mr. Park. Like that was just the only thing that his brain would say, like, this is what we're doing now. Yeah. And I think you have to kind of like walk through his steps and what he's gone through. Like, like you just said, his entire life was flooded the night before he lost everything and had to, like spend the night in a shelter with a bunch of other people. And the next morning gets a call saying, I need you to drive me to the store for a party. Like yeah. to then be normal after something like that yeah. is impossible. Yeah. And even jumping back to the scene in the car with the woman, right. With the, with the, with Mrs. Park, uh-huh. like the idea that he probably smells so bad because all of his clothes got soaked mm-hmm. and she's like, Oh, it's so great. We love the rain. Uh, you know what I mean? Like she's smelling the rain on him, say, thinking how gross it is, while at the same time celebrating how amazing the rain is. Well, like, it didn't. It wasn't rain. That sure, he sewer water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sewer water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's the worst. Thing. <laughs> like the moment where the girl is sitting smoking a cigarette on the toilet. Like you just oh. think of those moments, and like then the next day, yeah, they're at the party. Her... Like, they didn't have a chance to shower. They no. just grabbed some clothes from a pile. Yeah. Like. Her smoking on the toilet with it overflowing, it one of the greatest shots in a film that I've seen in years. Yeah, I didn't think I would want to see that, but I mean, it works really well. <laughs> but again, if we're talking about the desperation being ratcheted up, right? Like that's that's her breaking point, it feels like. is She's just like, well, F this. Like, what do you do? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I guess in that situation, like from her position, like, what do you do? Like, you can't fix anything at that point. Because even the dad runs in and he's, like, grabbing his military stuff off the wall and, like, some of his commendations and things like that. Like, things that are important to him that he's wanting to save. And she walks in and she's just like, this is totally effed. Like, so what do you do? You get above the water and you sit down. Like, <laughs> And this is, like, the second whiplash they've had. Because it's, like, the first whiplash was they had a great time at a... At a at like together as a family on yeah. that table looking out and it's all nice. They get whipped into the flood and then they get whipped back into a party. And exactly. So it wasn't just one whip. It was there flying every like their heads were everywhere. Well, and that's a super astute observation, I think, because not only is it whipping them back and forth, but it's whipping them from one situation to another, but totally reversing what their power in the situation is, right? When they're all hanging out in the rich people's house, getting drunk and everything like that, they are in power. They are the rich family at that point. And then it's instantly thrown back to, no, you're not, right? But then you're right. The next morning it turns right around and they're back in the same place where they were in power and they were the rich family, but it's their, their position of power is totally flipped. 
and again it's just it's it's that glimmer of hope that's given to them and then so quickly not just yanked away but the yanking away is rubbed in their face Ugh. <laughs> chills man um geez what do we even it's there's just so much to talk about i think one of the one of the uh, more i guess impactful themes for me um as well was just like the recurring idea that like these people in the upper class just like don't even have a like they don't even conceive of what it means to be poor or to not like what it means to not be rich essentially right to the point where there's literally a dude living in their basement that they don't know exists or literally a family under the coffee table in the same room as them exactly they just don't see yeah it's touched on several several points right where like they're they're right under their noses and they just refuse to acknowledge that they exist i think that scene is the most impactful scene of the movie for me is when they're sitting in the front room and the whole family is under the table like for so many reasons that scene just like is it has all of the themes of the movie wrapped up in it yeah that sequence i guess yeah from the time that the housekeeper well i guess from the time that it, it, they're joking around to kind of the next morning is really a microcosm of the whole movie it's like it's like a miniaturized version of the movie in about 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Cuz even yeah, like we see them all like drinking and being happy on the same couch where an hour later they had just wiped all the trash under the coffee table and now that's where they are while the rich family is sitting on the couch. Like well, and again, one thing that like stressed me the freak out, like I swear vein popping out of my forehead. I was like, you idiots, they are going to see a crumb. I was like, you are not yeah. going to get every single crumb. They're going to see a crumb and it's going to give you away. And they didn't. Like they just don't know that the quote unquote trash is there. They're, they're just totally unaware of its existence. Like, ugh. And then... I mean, again, we could do like a whole hour long episode on, <laughs> on just like, even just like, do you call it a sex scene? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That would be a confirmed yes. Is that, is that a yes? <laughs> I mean, it's sexual act. So I'm going to say, yes, it's a sex scene. Okay. I would be uncomfortable if my parents were in the room. So yeah, I'm going to deem it. That's our bar from that's now the on. Bar. <laughs> is it, if, if we'd be uncomfortable with our parents in the room, then it's a sex scene. Okay. Like, I would say that scene of any sex scene that I've seen in a movie is one of the most impactful for the story and the themes. Yeah. I'd put it on par with the one in her. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, just the way that, they talk and the way they talk about um, the cheap underwear and the drugs and yeah. And Andrew and I talked about this after we watched the movie, but how like in that moment they are like role-playing being poor. Whereas 45 minutes earlier, the other family was role-playing being rich and just like the comparison of that. Yeah. Well, and again, tying back to kind of the inescapability of the class divide, right? Like, yeah, one family can role play being rich and the other can role play being poor. 
and one of those groups gets the benefit of both and the other group gets the detriments of both like yeah you know what i mean well that that goes into like the title of the film i mean it's called parasite the question is who's the parasite yeah like if the rich family is getting everything from everyone else are they the parasite to like society or were the people that took over their home the parasite or the parasite the guy in the basement or yeah. you know it, it's so well done that in the end you're like they all kind of all are in a way yeah. which is really good yeah um anything have you have anything else to say on that note is there anything people didn't like about the movie i don't know man I don't think so. I I don't have a single complaint about the, the <laughs> yeah, entire thing. Yeah, I loved it. I wanted to talk a little bit about the production design. Yes. Um, and the way that the architecture of the various buildings that we go in and out of plays into the story. Um, one fun note is. At the beginning when they're fumigating and the dad is like, no, leave the windows open. We get free fumigation. And the way that that ties back into the flood that like Mm -hmm. their house flooded because um, of their open windows. But I guess. Oh, and the other thing. Sorry. Another note on on the culture is apparently like those kind of um, what do they call them? Semi basements. What did they call it? I think it was semi-basement. Yeah, it was something like that. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Like the that that idea of a semi-basement is, um, I guess, just another really uh, common thing mm-hmm. in like lower class Korean neighborhoods. I mean, that's pretty much what I live in. So, <laughs> <laughs> gonna end up killing someone soon. Stay tuned. Oh, yikes! Um, but. The, I love so much when movies are able, and I've talked about this a few times. I talked about it most recently when we did uh, Haunting of Hill House and how successful they are at teaching you kind of the layout of that house and how it plays into the story. And this film does a really similar thing in that you understand the layout of the house really well. And so what that does is it it just makes the movie even more successful of immersing you into this universe that the movie has created. Because whenever you see somebody in a room, you know where they are in relation to everybody else that's in the house, right? If somebody's in the kitchen, you know where they are in relation to somebody in the basement and in relation to somebody in one of the kids' rooms. Like, you always know where everybody is. And so, like, the space is really defined and really well explained and i feel like that does a huge uh, favor towards the immersion of the film because that's again one of like the thing that it takes for me to really love a movie is for me to be able to get immersed and lost in the universe that the film has created and a lot of times like that's why i prefer usually like sci-fi and horror over any other genre because those film like that genre those genres of film more than any other rely so heavily on world building and immersing you in a universe and this film manages to do that in a really similar way in that the world is so well defined the rules are so well defined even the the path that you take from uh the park's house to the kim's house like we don't see it all the way but they show us they show us that transit between the two houses and just how big of a distance that it is. You know what I mean? You go down the stairs under the underpass and you, um, 
I'm trying to remember all the other steps, but they show like three or four times them going from the Parks house to the Kim's house and really how far it is. There's that big stairs that they have the, the argument at the bottom of the stairs. And the other thing is that when they're going from the Parks house to the Kim's house, you always see them going down. Like, I'm sure they walk on level play, like level planes a lot in the way, but every single step of the way that we see them from the Parks house to the Kim's house, they are always going down, whether it be downstairs, down a hill, whatever. It, it, again, just the the way that it, it, it the world is so well defined, and so little of the film takes place outside of those two locations that you like that is your world is the Parks house, the Kim's house, and the path between, and that world is so well defined and so well explained that it does so many favors for the immersion of the film and your connection to the characters because you are in this world that they are inhabiting, and it's like even when they're in the car like it's so abstract as to what is outside of the car where they are in relation to anything else that like it's just like it doesn't matter like they're in the car and that's that's it for now but it's it it does the opposite in these handful of places where it shows you so well where you are in relation to all of the other characters at that point i love that yeah, it, I mean, it reminds me of, I mean, his past film, like Snowpiercer is in the same way. It's left and right. Yeah. Like, I think that's what I, one of the things I love about Parasite after watching, especially after watching The Host, like quite a bit right before, um, was so great about it is like, you, I feel like you can, you're what we're watching this director improve and improve. Like he's taking ideas and thoughts that he got from like The Host, I feel like had a lot of, like, he was attempting to, like, have a lot of these, like, details, like, these domino details that are going to fall. And so you saw, I saw that in Parasite done way better and way more masterful. While with Snowpiercer, it's like he's got that left-right, and like what you said, it's about the up and up and down. Like, you're always going down to the lower class and up to the higher class. Yeah, for sure. Do you anything else to say about the production design, Sid? I know you brought that up as part of your hot take. Uh um, I think just kind of the, mm, like the, the differences between the two houses where the park's house is like very spacious, um, but pretty empty. Um, like there's just not a whole lot of stuff. And then the Kim's where it's, um, really small, but they're all really close together. And it, like you can tell that the Kim's like, even though they argue like they're a close family and they, they do everything together where with the park's. Like, you hardly ever see the parents interacting with the kids. The kids obviously don't like each other. Um, so I think, it, yeah, it shows just a, a difference between how close the families are to yeah. each other. And, and yeah, again, with, like, the, the layout and showing how the house is, like, because it's such an open space, that also, like, ramps up the, the tension when they're stuck in the house because, like, Someone could be all the way in a, an entire different room and they would still see you. Yeah. Yeah. This movie's so good. <laughs> How about the, uh, what do you guys think about The Rock? Dwayne Johnson? Is oh, I love The Rock. <laughs> yeah. No, not Dwayne. The, the, oh, he's so good. The Rampage. landscape stone, whatever it's called. <laughs> to be honest, that was one of the things that, because I, I asked you guys before like what you didn't like. I was like, like The Rock thing was great. But I was shocked that the son survived mm-hmm. the hits to his head with that rock. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. that second hit that we see. Yeah, that was rough. Like, 
I I think that was the one thing that I was like, how in the yeah. world is he alive? And he's still? not getting out of that like fully. Oh yeah. Functional. Well, and I don't think that he does, right? Yeah. Like he's laughing. And, yeah. Here's the thing. I'm I'm willing to buy it just because the human body is a freaking crazy ass organism <laughs> like people can survive getting shot to the head yeah yeah, yeah like yeah. you can here's the thing like i could trip down my stairs and die tomorrow or i can fall out of an airplane with no parachute and live like <laughs> there's zero consistency as to what happens to the human body in different circumstances and like i don't know again just i guess a, a subversion of expectations yeah you're like oh shoot he did well, I mean, I was worried that, like, because he was alive, I was like, oh, the daughter's going to be alive. Like, for me, I always feel like there needs to be that, like, loss. Sure, like, yeah. And and there was the moment where he tricks, I feel like, the audience by being like, he's alive. And then when I saw my sister, and they don't show yeah, for a yeah. little bit, and so you're like, she's alive too? How? And then she's not. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> there it but, yeah. Well, and he's very clearly not all there, right? Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the laughing and the everything. Well, and even, like... I feel like him being alive was so key to, I guess, wrapping up a lot of the the, the themes of the film uh, because of the way that he viewed everything after that, right? Like, I guess my thing is, like, everything after he wakes up, I have no confirmation that any of it is real, hmm. right? Like, Like, maybe he didn't actually wake up. Maybe maybe he didn't wake up. Maybe the dad, if he did wake up, maybe the dad isn't actually in the basement. Maybe he's, because how, like, you think about the logistics of that. And again, how realistic it is as far as the behavior goes. And like, how is the dad going to know that the son is out on the hill spying on the light? Yeah. To a point where they can send letters back and forth over Morse code. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's just such a ludicrous situation to take place in a movie that had been so grounded up to this point. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, so I don't know. I have, I have, it, it, but again, like his little speech that he gives at the end where he's like, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to buy the house mm -hmm. and you're just going to walk upstairs and we're going to be a happy family again and blah, blah, blah. Like, again, like the the delusion that he has after witnessing firsthand, again, just the inescapability of, and, and the, the impossibility of crossing that line, to use Mr. Park's words, right? <laughs> like how impossible it really is, like how – like I. I'm repeating myself, but how difficult to impossible like class mobility truly is. And he's still at the end of the film convincing himself, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to be rich and I'm going to buy that house. And then you're going to be alive. And we're going to love you and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, like just his delusion that he still maintains that like, that that's a possibility for him. I mean, I don't usually condone sequels, but I would watch a sequel of him trying, <laughs> tr like, continuing to do pull cons and different, watching him and That'd his, be great. like, family. I would, I would watch that sequel, be great. for sure. Well, because the other thing is this, is, like, if it was possible, and I loved that they showed it, right? Mm -hmm. And then, boom. Real law and situation. And it's like, oh, no, he's just writing this in a letter. Like, if you could have just gone to college and get rich and buy that house, you would have done it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're a smart kid and you're obviously resourceful and uh, uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, that's that's the question. Like, you, you keep – you always repeat that, like, it's impossible to change that. But there's always the moment where you're like, some people can. And, it, and it's like there is that slight little hope. Like, even if he's, like, messed up now or whatever, like – Maybe he just wasn't motivated enough to focus on school. Maybe he didn't have the right, like, they are impressively, like, conning that family. Yeah. Like, it's awesome to watch them work. And, like, maybe 
that's that's what I really enjoyed is that there did seem even if it sounds seems ridiculous, there is some sort of hope in the way that like you can and that might just be the like idealism in me it might sure like, coming out, but like that's why I would love to watch a movie with him trying to work his way up or whatever or like conning and stuff because it's it's fascinating to watch that. We'd love to see that to see people grow like that's a fun thing to watch to we have so many movies about people make it like becoming rich or, or working hard and becoming better so like every movie is about improvement really for people and yeah. so that's a good point like, yeah now some, i guess i guess a note on that to the listeners i am unusually uh pessimistic and nihilistic <laughs> in regards to the current economic situation of the world so uh, maybe a maybe a dash of uh of idealism on the podcast is a good idea <laughs> Um, I also think it's an interesting interesting to point out that like they go back to the semi basement at the end like they're back there again exactly where they started in the same place. Yeah. Well yeah that's that, that kind of ties back into what I was saying, right? Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. we start out with a family with an empty house and a dude in the basement and this family in the semi basement and we literally just Yeah. Right yeah, where we like were. It's like nothing happened. Except for now the daughter's dead. Yeah. Yeah, and Mr. Park. Yeah. And possibly the son. Yeah. Also, or did they say anything about that? Um, they didn't really say anything. No, I don't they think. don't say anything. They just say the the slain Mr. Park, right, in the news report. Mm-hmm. No, they say. Um, one thing I guess we've talked about a lot of the depressing elements of this film. The Wi-Fi debacle at the beginning of the film <laughs> was one of my favorite things that I've seen in a movie this year. Like when he's when they're like at the dinner table and he's like, "We got our phones back, we got our Wi-Fi back." And yeah, just like so grim. Well, when they're when they're like looking, uh, and oh, that was one. Um, what's the name of the network that they say the lady put a password on? Um, I don't remember. I don't know. Um, I, I guess like so. Um, there's an ISP in Korea that um, has like their router that they'll loan out to you, right? IP time. That's what the uh, the network is called. And their default network on this router this for this super popular ISP in Korea is IP time. And it's like configured to open by default. And so apparently like IP time is like all over Korea, just these open networks called IP time. And so again, just like a little cultural nod like it would be for us running in like being in a neighborhood and seeing like you know netgear 42587 <laughs> open network like the, it's kind of like the cultural equivalent of that and i thought that was again a cool nod that i learned about after the fact well i mean it's all it's all about that that's what i think connects everyone to the characters it's just those real moments like like you, like we've talked about before where just like we recognize moments in those characters even though the specifics are specific to korea we've all had the moments where we're like i just want some wi-fi yeah gosh dang it (laughs) like and so you immediately connect with these people like like it's it's just a great moment in the screenplay that they've written in that you will start liking them because of those moments it's like with spider-verse you the the kids like singing at the beginning and badly and you're like i've done that before you know you just immediately connect with the characters the mom check whatsapp yeah. Check what's up. <laughs> the pizza place was supposed to text me back. <laughs> Freaking love that. Um, oh, and, uh, sorry. Just jumping back a handful of topics. I, I feel. I just feel like we would be remiss to not at least mention the symbolism of the landscape rock. Oh yeah, and the the basically the 
like that is the inciting incident of yeah. the story, right? Is, Remember, it's metaphorical. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, and even that. Oh my gosh, that was so good. How we just like, I guess the the meta elements of that. <laughs> it's like, Dad, it's metaphorical. It's metaphorical. It's metaphorical. And then Such it turns out phrase. that it is metaphorical. But again, how like, you know, that's what incites it is his friend comes over and gives him this rock and then tells him about this opportunity and kind of the superstition that goes along with that, that like, oh, the rock will bring you prosperity. And then that, that, oh my gosh, the, probably the best dialogue in the entire film, I would say, is when they're laying on the floor of the gym Mm -hmm. and he's like, I just feel like this is a rock around my neck now and I can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. And then when the dad gives his whole speech about how the best plan or the plan that never fails is no plan at all. And again, just like you see that like up to that point in his life, his desperation had brought him to essentially resignation, right? Like he's like, I made a lot of plans, but they all fail. And so if I don't have a plan, then I'll never fail. And as long as I'm eating, I'm good. You know what I mean? And like just his outlook on life. And then I guess showing, showing him and us, what happens when he loses even more than he thought he could lose, even at the lowest point in his life, like just pushing it, it just, it, he's so mean to this character. Like <laughs> he just absolutely pushes Mr. Kim to his absolute freaking limits. And, uh, also Mrs. Kim is kind of scummy just like in general. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I still remember, I don't know if this happened to you guys in our theater when she kicks the lady down the stairs. We had some laughs. What? Yeah. There was like three or four people that laughed. That like they thought it was gonna be like a funny fall. I mean I mean I I I, I, was, I, I'm, I giggled a little I bit. I mean it, but it's kind of like <laughs> out of shock. We're just like uh, oh. Sure. Like that for me was like that's like the moment where it's like getting real. Yeah. <laughs> because up to that point there had been no real consequences to anybody, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, this lady, you like, you hear her head hit the concrete. Yeah. Well, in the way that the fall starts, it's still like kind of funny, I guess, because they're like, oh, trying, everybody's trying to hide while the family comes mm-hmm. home. Mm-hmm. So it's all these like clever things, and you're kind of laughing about it. And then that happens, and it's not funny anymore. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie isn't funny anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, talk about relatable. Like, we've all had that moment when you push someone down the stairs and they smack their head on the wall (laughs) (laughs) no where like you take where you take a situation too far and it's not funny anymore right you're you're playing with your siblings they get hurt and you just beg them not to tell mom well for real like the situation i remember we we used to play ultimate spoons a lot what is wrong with you (laughs) becca's over here dying sid said that right as i was drinking water (laughs) (laughs) Kept for drinking water, and I was almost spit it out, but I didn't. I swallowed it. I'm fine. But I, I, I think about. Did you guys ever play spoons as kids? Yeah. So we used to play ultimate spoons. Oh yeah, which is where you had one spoon in the middle of the circle. I guess for the audience out there, spoons is a card game where are you going for like doubles or four of a kind or four what is it? Kind. You're going for four of a kind. So you're like passing cards around and you're looking for four of a kind. And when you get four of a kind, then you grab a spoon out of the middle. And the idea is that there's one less spoon than there are people, and the last person left goes out and then you do the round we used to play ultimate spoons where you put one spoon in the middle and the rest of the spoons like across the room or in a pool in a pool or at the top of the stairs or whatever right and we were playing in my friend's basement this one time and um 
playing and and we're all going for the spoon at the top of the stairs and we ended up chucking this kid down the stairs and dislocated his shoulder (laughs) oh my gosh and it was one of those like pin drops where like once we realized that he wasn't okay that all of us were like oh fuck (laughs) (laughs) and like i think that we've all had moments like that where you like realize that that a situation that was funny or was lighthearted is no longer funny and like that just your heart just drops and you're like crap you just like wish you could take back the last five seconds exactly and it's that idea of consequence being introduced into the situation and just how well the tone shifts on a dime at that moment where she kicks her down the stairs because even then it's like it's like goofy and quirky they're trying to hide from the family like all this stuff right and like boom drop of a pin the movie has completely shifted Mm -hmm. Such good storytelling. So good. <laughs> I don't know. Anything else anybody wants to bring up? I've I've expressed most of my thoughts. I feel like I would go in circle if I brought anything else up. That's pretty much everything I had. Do you have notes, Austin? I, I take notes of on everything. He does. Really? Like it's but he doesn't let me look at it. I mean, you do when you never mind. Yeah, <laughs> you don't let him listen to the podcast, so there's fair. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> different. I, I mean, I wasn't gonna let you look at the notes for the podcast because this has to be like a fresh, you know. It's and all fresh. You things. get your reactions and. On, yeah. Did you have anything else that you wanted to cover? Uh, I think the only other thing is I just love the detail of the lights, <sighs> like turning on, just like because you kind of notice it throughout the beginning of the film. You're like, that's kind of cool. Like, I really like that. Like. Like how it just slowly follows them. Then the moment you see the guy with his head, like doing each one, you're just like, no, wait, this whole time. Like, cause that's just a moment where you realize how involved he is with your experience. Like you're like, oh my goodness, he's been there the whole time. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's still a surprise that he's been there the whole time below, but he is not, he's been an active participant in moments that I've enjoyed (laughs) during the movie. I don't know. It's, it's such a great, Little, little detail that wasn't needed but was amazing yeah well and i guess to kind of touch on his difference of perspective versus the the kims right like he kind of brings in there's a lot of people who um i'm gonna trigger the politically sensitive among oh, no. our audience <laughs> but those who are proponents of stuff you know like uh, trickle down or for you fancy economists supply side economics <laughs> um those who are proponents of that right in that like Oh, we'll be fine because as long as the rich have just an exorbitant amount more money than we do, like they're creating jobs. The job creators are kings. We love the job creators and we only exist because they have provided jobs for us out of the goodness of their hearts, right? Like his perspective of he's down there and he's got all these articles on Mr. Kim and thank you, Mr. Kim. Thank you, Mr. Kim. I love you so much because of you. I have a place to live and I have a purpose in turning on these lights for you as you walk up the freaking stairs. Like just the, his difference of perspective versus that of, of the parks of the Kim family. Well, I mean, also with the psychological aspect of that, like he's just down in the basement for his entire life. He's living an absolutely garbage life and he is thanking Mr. Park for it. Yeah. It's oh, it's so gross. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, but like 
I guess the side that I am seeing from it, and not that I'm like supporting anything or whatever, but like, um, <laughs> what? Calm down. Let's do it. Let's get into it. No, we're not let's, getting. Let's talk about supply side economics, oh, Becca. Man. Oh, oh you know how I feel about it. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um. Anyway, like he was able to go into this basement to hide from, um, like debt collectors, and just like the psychological effect that just being in a basement has on someone that like, I don't think he's sanely choosing to like worship Mr. Park. Mm -hmm. Like he has had so much taken from him that like this becomes part of his daily routine is Mr. Park comes home and he is fed because they live there and there's food there that he can steal from them. Mm -hmm. And so that turns into someone that he worships and because he has nothing else to do with his time or his life because yeah. he's stuck in a basement. That's a good point. I think it's also kind of um, like that's kind of social interaction for him. Like besides mm-hmm. his wife, he really only interacts with other people when he's turning the lights on for them or like when he's terrifying a little boy as he's eating his birthday cake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's such a good... Oh, my gosh. Just, again, the, shots. The complexity oh, of it. the story that uh, the ghost is literally a dude living in their basement. Oh good gosh. heavens. His eyes are so big. Ugh. It was like that guy from Hereditary, the smiling guy. <laughs> that's what it looked like. It was just like that's wide eyes. Yeah. People just have crazy eyes. That's just... They're great in movies sometimes. Like, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anything else? There's a lot more that we could talk about. This movie's so freaking good. There's just like not really any negatives that I can think of. Except for Austin didn't like that he didn't die from the rock bash. Well, I, it's not that I didn't like. It's just it <laughs> felt like that was the only moment that popped me out of the movie. That I was like, wait a second. Why isn't he dead? Like that was such a brutal moment to show us yeah. that thump it's gonna be in my nightmares for a while like of him getting hit by the rock it's just i don't know i feel that though like i don't like movies where there aren't any consequences and like if someone dies they don't actually die i i hate that yeah that's like my biggest pet peeve for superhero movies is that they just never die Mm -hmm. um so i totally get that but I don't know. I like that he was crazy after and like his brain was all messed up. I like up. there were some consequences from it. Yeah. It just wasn't necessarily the worst consequence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, that's why I'm, not, I'm not saying it, it sh- he should have died. I'm just yeah. saying like that's the only moment in the film where my immersion was broken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't at all know the solution to the problem, which is bad. I should try to think of the way. But, but like that for me was the only moment that I got popped out of the film, I think. Mm-hmm. That's fair. And you squeezing my arm because you were so stressed out. Was really that was stressed a, that out. was the it's only a stressful other film. Yeah. I, I I guess I'm just a crazy person. I didn't feel any stress. I was just excited to uh, see how so like stressed. masterful this guy was gonna so show. Stupid. Yeah, maybe it's just evidence right here. See, and that's interesting because I guess one more uh, just stroke in this film's ego is like <laughs> I am super over analytical of films as I'm watching them. And so anytime that a movie is able to make me forget that I'm watching a movie and to your point, Becca, make me forget that I'm watching a movie in Korean. Yeah. Like really, really, really great accomplishment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've said all my thoughts. I've said my piece. I will talk no more. Anybody else? 
I have nothing else to say except it's so good. <laughs> if you haven't picked up on that yet, I don't know what. To <laughs> yeah, we none of us like this show, so. It's like we're about <laughs> to subvert your expectations. <laughs> Turns out the Lying. movie's trash. Lying the whole time. They paid us to talk about it. Dude, I'll take it. <laughs> Pay me to talk about your movie. I don't give a crap. I will sell out for like, a very small sum. <laughs> Freaking Emoji Movie 2. We will cover you guys. Wait, you guys don't like the Emoji Movie? <laughs> All right, Sid, what do you got for us? All right, here we go. Um, So the job as a home tutor um, was chosen because they realized that pretty much there was almost no way for the, these two ends of the spectrum to ever interact with each other. Um, this is the first Korean film to ever win the Palme d'Or from the Cannes Film Festival. Love that Palme d'Or. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, so while um, Jun Han Bo Bong um, was filming in the hyper-rich Korean home, he said his hand literally, literally shook from anxiety when he was returning a trash can to where it was um, because it was like a $2,500 trash can. Yeah. That's... It's... It's... <laughs> 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 um... <laughs> Uh, the wide aspect ratio of 2.35 was chosen to accommodate um, just single frames of large families. Um, this is the third collaboration between uh, director Jun, Hong, Jun Ho Bong and cinematographer... Oh, no. The cinematographer of the <laughs> film. Um, oh, oh, this is why I chose... Because um, the cinematographer... I'm just going to try it. Kyung Pyo Hong was also the cinematographer for last year's Burning, which is fantastic. I have been meaning to watch that. That one is so good. It's gorgeous. I love that one. Didn't that he also great. film Snowpiercer? Probably, because this is his their third That was kind of the point, right? Yeah. Um, Jun Ho Bong stated that he doesn't actually like screenwriting um, and that it makes him nervous and insufferable for his family. And he started this in 2015. Uh, with the final script written in three and a half months. Jeez. Wow. Um, this is also... Oh, is this the... The second collaboration between um, King Ho Song, who played Mr. Kim, um, who was in The Host as the dad and in Snowpiercer as the, like, pris the, yeah, the, the prisoner. Yeah, the guy. Korean guy. Yeah. The, <laughs> the Korean guy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in the flood scene with the the sewage water coming out of the toilet, they used mud mask to tinge the water. Well, at least it wasn't actual poopy. Yeah, that's some yeah. consolation. Um, the song playing in the background when the Kims get possession of the park house um, is an Italian song um, from the 1960s um, by Gianni Morandi. Morandi was a star in Italian movies um often comedies focused on the differences between poor and rich classes hmm. and that is all i have for you well thank you very much all right folks moment of truth time for our final thoughts and to place this movie on the western scale the only definitive way to rank a movie on a scale of one to ten that means that for the day austin you are an honorary westerns go 
congratulations. I, would, I thank you for the honor. You you only you only I know get exactly to, what all that means. Well, you only get to place something on the Weston scale if you are a Weston Sco, hence the name of the scale. So Sid has been an honorary Weston Sco for uh, just over a year now. So we're 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 uh, knighting you today as an honorary Weston Sco, making you able to assist in the placing of this movie on the Weston scale. So until this very moment. I looked up at your diplomas on the wall and realized your last name is Westensco, and now I understand. <laughs> the, the scale, what make, you the met. scale makes more sense I, now. I, I was like, <laughs> I don't know if this is like a weird, like specific style. Like one means this, ten means this. But, but now we're gonna, now we're gonna now chant around a fire and, uh, like, I don't know, ro- and levitate into the air. Oh yeah, naked. I, I, I got it. I gotta go. <laughs> Excuse me. You don't want to join our coven. Oh, uh, maybe next time. It's a cool we'll coven. See. We're not like the other covens. We're a cool <laughs> coven. <laughs> I've never coveted that, so I'm okay. All right. Becca, what are your <laughs> final thoughts? Um, I don't know that I have much more to say than has already been said. I think this is a fantastic movie, and I definitely want to go see it again. And really, there's not a lot if anything, that I really didn't like about it. Um, so I will give it a nine. Even. Oh, Austin, to fill you in, um, it's literally just a number between one and ten based on whatever criteria you determine. Awesome. So you just you just give it a number. So There's if no- I say one is the best and ten is the, the, the lowest. You're really going to bring our average down. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say eight on that scale, but oh, I'll get it. Okay, I understand. <laughs> so your final thoughts and rating out of ten. Oh, mine? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, I mean, it was it was a masterpiece. Like, anyone that loves film will love this movie, for sure. Um, and I'm going to give it an 8.5 out of 10. You're stingy. Masterpiece yeah, gets geez. an 8.5. I, I, I'm a stingy he, he guy. He doesn't have any 10 out of 10s. No. You don't have wow. a single movie that's a 10. No, I do not. Jeez. That's too bad. Um... This movie was fantastic. Uh, it was just so beautifully well-crafted, and it was gorgeous and funny and amazing, and I, we've all talked about this for an hour and a half. I'm going to give this one a 9.4. So specific. You guys always make me freaking second-guess my stuff. Why? Your scale? I feel like we're usually my about ratings. the same. I'm always, I am always. have to go first. I know, you do. Um, I guess I liked this movie more than most of you, or all of you, rather. Um, this, like I said, this movie does a very special thing for me. Aside from how incredible just the story is and all of it, it is a film that gets me just like reinvigorates my love of film as an art form and reminds me why I spend just an incredible amount of my time watching movies because I'm I feel like I'm just continuously looking for this movie and movies like it that again just uh, like I said just like refresh my love of film and so it's not a 10 I'm not leading up to it being a 10 guys come on I've only seen it once you can't raise something a 10 only seeing it once that's a rule uh but point being um Aside from just how incredible the movie itself is, I connect with it 
um, on a thematic level. The, the, the themes are very relevant today and uh, uh, play into things that are very important like in my life and to me and uh, shape a lot of my views on the world as well as just my love of, uh, of film. And so I will be rating Parasite a 9.8. Nice. I definitely feel like after another viewing, it's going to go up. Yeah. I feel that way too. Yeah. yeah. No, I feel that. We'll up. see. <laughs> <laughs> You're so stingy, man. I'm sorry. I, I we'll it's, see it's how a f- long this abs- relationship lasts. Whoa. <laughs> now we got it on tape. This, this, uh, your jokes. That's a joke, right? Was it a joke? I think that puts, us at like, <laughs> that puts us at like a 9.2, I think. It's fair. Oh, that's the other thing. I really did bring down that average. <laughs> the, the averaging out of the numbers really just is my best guess. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's not a calculation. No, I don't. I don't actually do any calculations. I look at the involved numbers and I'm like, eh, that probably puts us about here. <laughs> well, that's part of the Weston scale. That's, that is that is a definite part of the Weston. There's the scale. like wavy equal sign next to the average. Yeah, so you're like, no, it's about yeah. this. Yeah, I I, uh, I spend a lot of time guessing. As to, I mean, I'm sure that a lot of these numbers would change if we actually did math, but who cares? And that's that, folks. That's that. I am so freaking gosh darn excited for our end of the year episode. I've I'm I've like been as I go ranking the movies that I've seen this year, just so that one I can remember everything I've seen this year. Like as far as well, I mean I keep track of everything that I watch, but then I have a separate listing of um my actual like rankings of the movies. Right now, it's not up to date. Yeah. I need to I need to change a couple of things, and I don't want to give you guys a preview because I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't decided what my number one this year is so far. It's between two. Mm-hmm. <gasps> you don't know what they are. Lighthouse. I'm sure I could guess. You, you probably could guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the other one. Midsummer. Is it in your Midsummer's three? Oh, then right Parasite. Now. Well, maybe. Who knows? It's Lighthouse and Parasite. Who knows? Who knows? How did I forget about the movie we just talked about for an hour and a half? I just want a cut (laughs) gems because I feel like it's just going to make my life even harder. I love Adam Sandler. Hope it's like his old stuff. <laughs> it just uh, that's the real troll of this movie is it's a Billy Madison sequel. <laughs> he well, does like his weird like stuttering whatever, but in the accent. With oh the, my with gosh. The teeth. But there's in the goatee. I mean, yeah. there's a moment in the trailer where he literally like looks at the screen. And he's like, "Just give me another chance" or something like that. Like, I literally feel like he's talking to the audience, where he's just like, "I'm different now. Please, just like, I'm a serious actor now." That would, be, dude. He he can pull it off when he wants yeah. to. Um, highly recommend the Meyerowitz stories. Um, hmm. He's really good in that one and uh, Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love is kind of the one that everybody points yeah. to. Yeah. Um, okay, on to other topics. Real talk, I haven't watched anything. <laughs> we just haven't watched Me movies either. lately. We've been really bad. Mm-hmm. Sid, what do you got for us? Um, we So we saw Parasite yesterday at 6. Oh, no. And then we went and saw Zombieland 2 at 9. And I hated it. I oh, hated, hated it Zombieland? so much. I was so mad the entire time. Well, that's a high bar to set. And then walking I mean, into a Zombieland yeah, okay. sequel. Talk about a whiplash sure. right there. Yeah, that's right? For sure. But I feel like even if I hadn't just seen one of the best movies in recent years, I still would have been so... Like, it was almost a, gr- a green book situation. Really? I, like, yeah. You can test her. I was getting pretty mad. Like, on the drive home, she was furious. 
just that it existed that or, it existed like, that we yeah. wasted an hour and a half Pretty when much. we could have rewatched parasite yeah. <laughs> but like yeah it was not a good movie like me personally i love the first zombie land oh it's great yeah. like it's, it's super, super it's fun. fun and it has what i when for me a com- comedy a good comedy is where it's fun but it hits you with some heart like at the end mm-hmm. like hunt for the wilder people that's how jojo rabbit was when we watched it Crazy. the first zombie land was like that the newest Zombieland 2 felt like the most boring. Yeah. E- like I could have written the basic timeline when I watched the first movie of like yeah. what you could put in a sequel. Yeah. Like it felt like eight people wrote it and it just, it didn't, it didn't pan out. There was some, there was one, one good scene that we agreed was pretty good. And there was a fight scene, the fight scene between their like copies yeah. basically. Like it was like a, a one shot. Uh-oh. Which is pretty good. And then the very ending stinger scene with Bill Murray. Yeah. And that was it. Which is in the trailer, so. Yeah. The fr- there's so many great moments in the first Zombieland, though. There's, like, smashing up the gift shop. Yeah. And there's the, like, when she shoots Bill Murray. And, like... <laughs> well, I mean, that was the only other good thing Zombieland 2. Any moment there was a callback. Like, yeah. Because there's okay. a moment where. Like, oh, wow. I remember the first one was good. Yeah. I wish I was watching that one. <laughs> there's a moment where a woman, it's like, woman says, she's like, yeah, I didn't want to murray you. He's like, everyone's just like freezing. They're like, what are you talking about? And it's literally become a zombie land thing that every all the survivors know that Bill Murray was killed because he people thought he was a zombie, but they don't know who did it. So like, see, that's a great moment because it's a callback, but the whole movie was bad, so it didn't yeah. really work. But on the other side, Man, Jojo contrast. Rabbit was fantastic. Yeah, I need to make time. We need it to make time was... to go see that. Maybe I'll go Monday. I could maybe go see that tonight. Okay. It was great. And I cried. I laughed. Like a baby. I didn't cry like a baby. <laughs> and just Taika Waititi is a treasure. I love him. He absolutely is a treasure. Oh, yeah. And that's pretty much everything of note. Man, we are, we're, we're taking some time off after October, it seems <laughs> like. <laughs> I mean, I watched a lot of movies, but. Well, yeah, you're unemployed. Yeah, so that that's how that happens. <laughs> There's plenty of time. Like I watched the A Team and that movie, even though I don't know, it's amazing. That's it's a fun. A, one. It's a great fun action movie. Yeah. So instead of going to see Zombieland two this week, just go watch the A Team because that's fun. Yeah. I'm just I'm still just so mad. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, cool. All right, folks. Well, that'll probably do it for us. We're already, you know, we're at an hour and a half. There's plenty, of, there's plenty of podcast. Um, we appreciate you listening to us. We uh, we love you so much, and we appreciate you, and we hope that you go tell your mom about the podcast. Um, if your mom's mom already knows, have her tell her mom. Go, you know, get get yourself a Ouija board and communicate <laughs> with the spirit of your dead great-grandmother and tell her about the podcast and... Maybe we can get some uh, some downloads from the other side. You know yeah. what I mean? That'd be, dude. If we get like some spectral listeners, Ooh. I'm into that. Casey Affleck, Casey, <laughs> the ghost of Casey Affleck. Please listen to our podcast. Um, I am listening right now. What? I'm confused. What's the? Uh, that's true. I forgot. You're actually I'm a part of it. I now. forgot that you're actually the ghost <laughs> of Casey um, But no. Um, if you guys have any suggestions for movies that you want us to cover, um, we're more than happy to hear that. You can email us at contact at wewatchpodcast.com or you can slide into the DMs on any of the major social media platforms. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at movies. Nope, that's old. It used to be movies we watch. Now it's we watch podcast. Yeah. yeah. Our handle, rewind, is we watch podcast. That's it. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Um, you can also, uh, I guess, DM me on Reddit if you want to. We do have a We Watch Podcast Reddit account, but I feel like you're just being a stick in the mud at that point. Just email me <laughs> at contact at wewatchpodcast.com. Um, and that'll do it for us. We appreciate you. We love you. I'm Andrew. I'm Becca. I'm Austin. I'm Sid. And we'll catch you on the next one. Bye.